Hello, my friends, and welcome to PM School, an educational platform for women entrepreneurs aspiring to start, scale, and exit epic businesses. I'm your host, Steph Caldwell, businesswoman by day, personal development author, founder, and investor by PM. Come with me each episode as we go behind the scenes with epic entrepreneurs and with the epic experts who support them along their way. So grab your glass of wine, grab your biz bestie, because it is about to get real. Are you ready? Pull up your seat because class is in session. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of PM School. I'm so excited that you're here again and truly can't wait to introduce you to my next guest. Her name is Sarah Cullen. She is the founder and CEO of GEM, which is a VC-backed platform for nutrition, which is founded on the simple principle that food is medicine. And their first application of this is a reimagined multivitamin bite that you take daily to improve your overall health and nourishment. I'm so honored that Sarah and I were able to connect through Circle Up, where we are an investor in GEM, and I really enjoyed the conversation that we had. Sarah is a total badass. She spent her early career in agriculture and sustainable food, made her way to Venture for America, where she launched her first e-commerce business, in the functional better for you space and ultimately came up with the idea for Gem working in her kitchen and found a way to bring it to life. So I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Sarah. Before I do, just a comment. If you get value out of this episode, share it on social media, share it with a friend. Please help spread the word of PM School. You guys know I don't do ads or anything like this. This is all for you guys. So share it with a friend. All right. Let's get into the episode with Sarah. Sarah, I'm so excited to hang out with you. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me, Steph. So probably my favorite question to ask all of my guests is, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I love that question. Actually, I wrote a letter to myself, to my 28-year-old self when I was in third grade. And my third grade teacher shipped me this letter when I was 28. It was amazing. And when I read this letter, it said what I wanted to be. And I wanted to be a baker. And so it's kind of, I'm I'm not a baker necessarily, but what I think is really cool about that is that I loved experimenting in the kitchen as a really young child. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I continue to do throughout my adult life and obviously throughout my health experiences as well in order to create this funny looking bite that's now gem. And so I may not be a baker, but I think I lived up to some of my childhood dreams and still being an experimentalist in the kitchen. Wait, that is so cool and so full circle. I know. It's amazing. So when you were a kiddo, did you have any entrepreneurial ventures? It sounds like you loved being in the kitchen. Did you ever try to sell any of your snacks? I... I always had, no, actually, I ne- well, I had like a lemonade stand and those types of things, but I remember making the weirdest concoctions and then I would give it to my parents. 
And and they were such great sports about it. They tasted everything that I made. I mean, I put some weird concoctions together. It wasn't always delicious. And so I think I always love to like build little things in the kitchen and then kind of give it out to people as like, do you like this? Do you like this? And my father was an entrepreneur in the agricultural space. So I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. I saw him building things. I was in around a lot of farmers growing up and in this kind of food nutrition space, but more from an agricultural industrial lens. Uh, so I think I had the bug early on in life to want to always be an entrepreneur and build things. That is so cool. So we have maybe more in common than I realized. One, I also loved to mess around in the kitchen when I was a kiddo, but I was no good. I can remember this one recipe I made from my parents. It must've been Mother's Day or something. And I was like, I'm going to surprise them. I'm going to make them coffee and pancakes. So I made the coffee, but I didn't know about coffee filters at the time. So I literally made coffee with no coffee filter. My parents, you should have seen their faces when they spat out their coffee. And uh, I didn't know the difference between a tablespoon and a teaspoon. So I made the pancakes with a tablespoon of salt which were equally horrible. So yeah, yeah. But my dad, also an entrepreneur, also from the agricultural space. Um, so just crazy that that there's that connection. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. What did he do in agricultural space? His, fam- his family owned farms. They raised cattle and then they did kind of the Midwestern crops after a number of you know poor years on the farm, uh, just be- due to the climate and whatnot. They ended up selling tractors, but just always entrepreneurs. Very cool. Yeah. So, okay, we've got this little entrepreneurial Sarah who's seeing her family kind of live into their dreams. What was school like for you? And and what was formal education like for you? Yeah, so I went to Cornell University and I originally applied as a pre-vet. I, I was interested in animal science, uh, quickly learned that the lab and that uh, line of work was not for me. And I transitioned into international agricultural development. It was actually a very long major, a long name of a major. But uh, really what that meant was that I studied food and nutrition more from a sustainability lens. So I did a lot of internships and work with farmers around the world, looking at our food supply, how we can produce food in more sustainable ways. Uh, And so I have always been interested in the space from very different angles, but that was really my kind of formal education was in that. And then right after undergrad, I joined an entrepreneurial fellowship called Venture for America and worked for a startup in New Orleans. And that's really where I got my feet wet in the world of startups and building things more from a consumer marketing business lens, I suppose. Interesting. Tell us more about this consumer startup. What were you doing there? What was the appeal for for that business and what did you learn? Yeah. Well, Venture for America is a really unique program. I don't know how Many of your listeners are going to be familiar with it, but it's kind of like Teach for America, but instead of sending recent grads to schools, you're sent to startups in cities like New Orleans and Cincinnati, where we can build bigger entrepreneurial systems. And so I was working with a startup at the time that was doing consulting for high growth e-commerce startups. So I did a lot of branding and customer segmentation. And through that experience, I learned a lot about how to build products for the customer, understanding who the customer is, how to analyze that data, how to adjust your sales funnels and your techniques to better address the customer's needs. And so it was a really valuable experience in that way, obviously in building GEM and understanding how to 
build a product really where it's customer centric and the customer's at the heart and soul of it. So that was a lot of my experience during that time. Wow. I can only imagine like the applicability, the direct applicability of what you learned as part of that experience with what you're doing at Gem today or what you and your team, I should say, are doing. A lot, a lot of things I've learned along the way. <laughs> uh-huh. So maybe let's let's start with the Gem conversation. Tell us a, a little bit about Gem. Tell us about the business, the vision. Let's start there. Great. We are building a new platform of nutrition rooted in this philosophy that food is medicine. And we're starting by reinventing the traditional notion of a multivitamin, how it's designed instead of a pill or a capsule, it's a real food bite. Um, and also what's inside of it instead of just 100% of all of your vitamins and minerals in isolated forms squeezed into a capsule, it actually has real food, uh, superfoods and herbs and probiotics and these things that you might not traditionally get in a multivitamin that actually does so much more for you. And so we really are crafting a new way of nourishing yourself, but also nourishing our planet because we use super sustainable ingredients like algae, which I'm very passionate about and and new ideas of how we think about our daily nutrition. That is, I, I know for me, when I found out about Gem and started thinking about just like my own experience with nutrition, my own experience with vitamins, like there's something um, about the traditional multivitamin that just doesn't sit well with my body. And I think it is because it's like, at the end of the day, like synthetic is how I describe it. And what I love about the Gem approach is this idea of food is medicine, like, like back to, back to nature, back to earth, back to sustainability. And I think that there's kind of both like food is medicine and like sustainability all involved in this business. So let's connect these dots. There's Sarah, who's working for the e-com business. That's learning everything about sales funnels and marketing funnels and e-com. And then there's where you are now with the gem platform and like this very clear vision on how you want to make the world a better place through food. I'm sure it didn't start there. So talk to us about like inception. What was going on in your life when you started to get this idea? Yeah. So in between actually that startup experience that I had in Central America, I co-founded a plant-based beverage company in New York. It was actually a CBD beverage. Ooh, that's <laughs> The first ones to market. It was very new age. Now, maybe not so much. But what I loved about that product is that I've always been passionate about how can we democratize access to plants that are maybe hard to get in our diets, but actually do a lot for your health. And at the time, a lot of people looked at CBD as cannabis or as a sort of stigmatized plant, but really there's so much benefits to your mental health. And so I love the concept, again, of experimenting with different plants and bringing them in to your diet in accessible ways. I learned a lot about starting a company then and what not to do. And it was around my mid to late 20s that I started to have my own health experiences. I dealt like a lot of us coming into adulthood. I thought I was like a healthy person. You know, I like exercise and ate salads, I don't know, occasionally. Um, But I started experiencing like adult acne and chronic inflammation and an incredibly sluggish metabolism and all these hormonal imbalances. And I was like, wait, what's going on? And I went through all these allergy tests and and different blood tests. And I realized I needed to fill the gaps in my diet. I had a lot of nutrient deficiencies and I'm not alone. 90% of Americans are micronutrient deficient. And even if you eat perfectly or eat a well-rounded diet, it's almost impossible to get the nutrients that your body needs because our food system is pretty starved today and pretty depleted of the nutrients. And so you do need 
to supplement your diet. And so like many people, I turned to the vitamin aisle and started looking at different supplements. And a lot of them have a lot of synthetic fillers and preservatives, or it's like a candy, like a gummy bear that never made sense to me. Uh, and so I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't going to work. So I'm going to concoct my own way to fill the gaps in my diet. And I, that's when I started experimenting again, using like spirulina. I started making these complicated smoothies and these food formulas that were really expensive and time consuming. And ultimately that led me to create what is now the gem bite that really started to work for me was much more convenient. And that's when I got to work on like, would would other people want this type of bite in their diet as a replacement for their multivitamin? And it turns out, yes, they do. So that is so interesting. And I totally resonate with the the gummy aspect of things. Like my stomach, my body just responds really poorly to like multivitamins in the pill form. And so I turned to gummies, but then I'm like, I'm basically just filling my body with sugar and I don't need any more of that just like in in me because it's supposed to be healthy. I'm so excited to talk more about Gem. Before we go there, tell me about this functional beverage business. What like how did that come about? Were you doing it full time? Was it a part-time thing? And what lessons did that business teach you that ultimately you get to pull into Gem? Yeah. I had this unique opportunity to work with a group of restaurant folks actually in New York who were angel investing some of their money and looking to kind of, it was was sort of like a mini boutique accelerator, so to speak. And so I joined them first to help investing, to help with investing in new startups and then ended up co-founding with them this new idea and launching it. And it was a very organic thing. And I joined them really under the premise of like, I would do a lot of research and kind of look at opportunities and, and build a new business in this functional food and beverage space. And so that's how it was born out of. And the lessons learned is like, well, that's not actually a great structure to start a company. Let me tell you, I had like five other partners who were not all full-time like me on this business. Then they were investors and had their own hands and other things. And so it turned out to be not the right, that was like the stereotypical startup 101. And that turned out not to be the right thing. So basically through, it sounds like almost like a venture studio program you guys concocted this idea for a functional tech company that may or may not have been like the right setup for that business to succeed. At what point did that business either kind of continue on without you or get shut down entirely? It's a really good question. I'm actually not sure where it is today. I ended up just gracefully exiting that company because it was a it wasn't the right equity structure for me. And it didn't make sense to continue to invest my time in something that I couldn't fully control that vision. And we had misaligned, I think, mission and visions and and values also that I became very aware of, which are all really important questions that you have in starting a company. Now I'm a sole founder, but as like a co-founder, making sure that you have aligned like mission and vision and values. And so I went through that process with them and realized, okay, this is, I think we have different visions of this. And so I'm going to step away. And I also had this other idea for Gem that I was very passionate about, obviously, for my own health experiences. And so at the time, that company kind of got passed, I think, between a lot of different operators. And sadly, I'm not sure if it ended up anywhere productive right now. I'm not sure. I think it's kind of just dwindled. But I've had to let go of my first baby. And now I have a, a new child to take care of. So yeah, I think that's so awesome. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, it seems like 
at this point in time, like you're very beyond that experience, but at the time, did it feel like stepping away? Like it was, there, was there any ego involved in making that decision to step away and do something new, especially in the same space? Oh my gosh. Yes. It was so incredibly hard. Now I had four other male co-founders in that who all had very big egos. And I think I was trapped as like my mid twenties self. And I was very naive and I don't think I stood up for myself or negotiated good terms. And I kind of was caught in their own ego battle, but also my own, you know, like I really wanted to see this through. I'm not the type of serial entrepreneur that starts a lot of different ventures. I, I really like to focus on one thing and do it right and build that. And so it was re- it was a really hard time in my life, which probably contributed to a lot of my health experiences that I had and being overly stressed and inflamed and feeling not so great. Yeah. I can only imagine. I personally went through kind of closing down a business with a friend uh, last year and like really it put me through a a multiple month cycle of like, who am I? And like, what do people think of me? And is this a failure? And like, how does, I don't know, just so so many things. So I can only imagine. And so when you were building this functional beverage company, it sounds like there were these health issues. The kitchen experimentation sounds like a theme in your life. So was all of this happening kind of all at once? A little bit. I, I was doing, yeah, it was, it happened almost simultaneously. Like as I was exiting that, I actually then moved from New York to LA and I had experimented enough in the kitchen to have this idea of a new kind of nourishment system. I didn't know it was going to be kind of this anti-vitamin or this alternative to a multivitamin yet, or even this bite necessarily. And so when I got here to LA, that's when I started pulling in different scientists, food scientists, herb, different perspectives, the functional medicine doctor and consulting them. I worked with different farmers and ingredient suppliers and figuring out, okay, what are the healthiest, most sustainable ingredients out there and ways to start to develop this bite. And so I probably did more than 50 prototypes in my kitchen in LA with my food scientists and herbalists and, and figuring these things out. And then it was about a year, six months to a year. And then we we had the first proto- like the first real prototype that we were starting to introduce to people and then launched in late 2018. It's about a year and a half after I um, exited my first venture. Wow. I'm I'm actually completely mind blown because one, like me as a person, everything that you're saying is just like the opposite of me. Like, I, I'm like, I, I don't even know, like, what does it take to find a food scientist and like to have the right concoction of function and ingredient to deliver the effect that you want the consumer to have. And I get the sense, like you weren't formally trained in any of this either. So maybe like this was a journey for you. Talk about that. Well, it's been a journey. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I, that was the benefit of my first company is that I had gone through working with different suppliers, different food scientists and developing this beverage. And I had gone to market with it. So I understood how to bring this network together. I understood how to look at the unit economics from the beginning and making sure that they were scalable and wasn't just a you know boutique kitchen brand that couldn't reach millions of people. And so I, I, I had a lot of experience in that way and, and confidence, I think. Now, this is a totally different product and a totally different network of people, but I at least had some experience in doing that and to be able to, to build this. 
Yeah. I think just knowing kind of the end to end process of like product development to sales and accelerated sales by, you know, looking at every aspect of distribution and marketing and whatnot is such a huge advantage. The other question that's coming up for me right now is I can't imagine that any of this is cheap. Like when you start making smoothies in your kitchen, cool. When you start turning those into bites in your kitchen, awesome. When you're pulling together a network of food scientists and like agriculturists to bring this thing to life, I imagine the price point starts to go up. Talk to us about the funding journey for this business. Great question. So it started with all of my savings and some friends and family money. That was probably originally earmarked for some graduate degree that I'm never going to get. So I took all of that. (laughs) Yeah. And I I was also consulting on the side for food and beverage companies. So I I did have some side hustle to help with my own like living expenses. Mm -hmm. And originally I thought I was going to do a crowdfunding campaign. I was never intending to raise venture capital money. And it was in the spring of 2018, once I had this initial kind of prototype of a bite that I said, okay, well, let me start this um, beta group of consumers. And it was, I always joke, it was on this very complicated platform called Facebook groups. <laughs> so I started a Facebook group and I had everyone kind of refer people in. So it wasn't just my friends. It was, it ended up being like 300 people from all over the United States. And I just started to do surveys. I started to ship the product to these people and ask them, how do you like it? What can I do to improve? Uh, And I started tinkering with the product from there until I got a good response back of like, yes, I want to take this product every day. This is really valuable to me. And when I started seeing those responses of like an overwhelming response of, well, I really, really want this. That's when I was like, okay, great. This is something I really need to bring to the world and I need to get going quickly. And it was at that point that I just started asking investors that I was talking to, like building relationships with to join this beta group because I thought I was going to do a crowdfunding campaign. So I was like, sure, join this beta group, see all this transparent feedback of the good, the bad, the ugly. But it was such an overwhelming positive response in that and see, and I think when investors saw the people, how they responded to the product, the demand for it and the excitement around it is when I was able to raise my first pre-seed round very quickly. So instead of having like a fancy pitch deck and the brand all buttoned up tight and all of that. It was just my customer and the product and me focusing relentlessly on that. And I raised money based off of that beta group really. And that pre-seed round of funding is what got me to launch in later 2018. And then we've raised subsequent uh, rounds after that. Wow. Um, what I mean, what a testament to how incredible your product is and how obsessed with your customer you are. I think it's no surprise to me that you had such a easy, <laughs> so to speak, um, kind of pre-seed round because who doesn't want to be involved in a business that's kind of creating a new cat subcategory of multivitamin, doing it in a better for you way and with customers that are currently obsessed. Question for you, as somebody who's never raised a pre pre anything round, who's never even raised capital myself. I I can imagine that going from one person show, kind of like putting this together, getting it to prototype and and shipping it out to friends, family, and others. That's like one component of the business, but getting ready to take on capital for the first time and, and, and potentially even kind of give up equity kind of creates financial complexities and or legal complexities. How did you navigate that? Like, were you totally a pro knew exactly what to do or did you have to kind of like get your ducks in a row, so to speak, to 
to be able to take on capital for the first time? Uh, yeah, a mixture of both. So I had some experience investing because that was kind of this investor accelerator that I was working on with the functional beverage. I had some experience in that. So I understood like the different mechanisms, like the, the difference between a safe note or convertible notes. And so I had some of that knowledge already, which I think gave me light up and understanding how to take money in and, and what that actually meant in terms of equity given up. But there were some, I had started as an LLC, for instance, and then I had to convert to a C Corp in order to take the money. So there were like infrastructure changes that I had to make to the business that I didn't really know in the beginning that I learned through the process. And fundraising is as a whole other skill set. It's a whole other thing that you have to learn that's almost like separate from your business. And so I did spend a lot of time in the early days of Jen learning that. Hmm. For anybody that is in your shoes back in 2018, like they've got products, they've got obsessed customers, but they don't know how they're going to financially kind of scale the venture. What recommendation, maybe a, a book, a resource, or just like general advice do you have for them as they kind of think about potentially raising capital for the first time? I think you always have to ask yourself if what type of capital is right for you. Like I mentioned, I originally wanted to do a crowdfunding campaign. I didn't want to raise venture capital money because venture capital money does put pressure on you. You take money from investors who have their own goals and valuations and things that they have to hit for their investors. And so it does put a lot of pressure on you to grow your business in a certain way. And that is good for some businesses. It's not for others. I ultimately decided that this was a product that I wanted to get out into the world. I wanted to get it out quickly. And so I needed to take in that money in order to go at the speed that I want, that I wanted to, and also to align in that aligned with investors at the speed that they wanted to grow the business. So we had a mutual alignment there, but I, but I don't think that's the case for all companies. And I think that's where a lot of people maybe see a shiny ball of raising money and they think, okay, I'm going to do that no matter what when it might not be appropriate for the type of business that they're building. So that's always like the very first question. There are a lot of books out there. I don't know if I have one off the top of my head to recommend. I can think about that. Maybe we can include it in the show notes. Yeah. But, you know, for me, the best resources were my fellow friends who are fellow founders. Going through Venture for America, I had a lot of friends who had also started companies. And so I really leaned on them and the relationships that I built in the space to understand kind of what to do and what not to do. And I and I hope to pay that forward too. Like I have conversations all the time and I love that. I want to support as many people as possible and passing down what I've learned too and what helps in fundraising and, and how to do that. It's definitely an art and a science. Yeah. As somebody who's, who's never gone through it, I can only imagine like the joys of finally accessing the capital that you need to do the thing that you really want to do for the world. And also the tribulations of trying to like run this business. And like you have this, the baby that you're really passionate about and having to learn an entirely new skill set and take so much time to just go in and seek the capital that you need. Yeah. I think the other thing that I learned from my first venture was again, that alignment in partners. And you can think about that not only with your co-founders, but with like your investing partners, you're you're selling your business just as much as they're buying a piece of your business. So it really is a relationship building a two-way street. So I think approaching fundraising from that lens is really important because a lot of people 
sometimes don't do due diligence on the people investing in them. It's really important that you do the due diligence in the investor just as much as they do into you because it's a two-way street. And it's, yeah, it's really important that you have mission alignment with them as well. Because I think a lot of people take money from investors who might not have the same mindset or values as them, just like you had that conversation with your co-founder. And that's a really important conversation that you have because they're buying a piece of your business just as much as you're selling that piece of the business. And so looking at it as a true partnership in fundraising is a really important mindset. So when you raised your first round, what was the goal of that round? Like, What was the, the goal that the business would accomplish using that money? Great question. Our initial goal was just getting the product into market. I had a very lean startup uh, mentality, I suppose, to put it simply, where I had this very customer-centric mindset. And so before I invested in this very expensive brand book, I wanted to really understand the customer and I wanted to get the product right. And so I took that money and I spent it on continuing to iterate on the product, on building out that scalable supply chain and on launching it and getting it into customers' hands. And so we launched actually with what I think is almost brandless. It was a very simple brand, black and white. I wanted it to be almost brandless. I didn't want you to even look at the brand. I wanted you to think of the product and I wanted to take care of the customer. And we were like that for about two years. And it was really during the pandemic in 2020 that I brought in an agency where at that point we really understood who our customer um, was and you said, okay, now, and you know, our heart and soul of the brand, now let's build a strategy and a look and feel that relates to where we, where are, that relates to our vision and like where we're headed and, and what we want to communicate to our customer. And so, um, we, we launched that rebrand in early last year in 2021. By the way, I think your branding is beautiful. So excellent job to the team that did the the rebrand. And now I'm like wishing that I would have seen it ahead of time so I could have seen the the change. When you think about the initial go-to-market approach and strategy, when you were doing your your beta, it sounded like it was primarily online, like sending product out to customers. I don't even think you said farmer's market. So that makes me think like total e-com business. What was the approach in the initial years from an e-com perspective and how has that shifted over time? Great question. I was very dead set on having an e-com business because I wanted that close relationship to the customer and I wanted to maintain that. And so direct-to-consumer was a really important business model for me. And we're still direct-to-consumer today. And also we're a subscription company and that re- pertains to the business, to the consumer behavior that we want to enact, which is taking one bite every day proactive for your health. And so having it conveniently shipped to your door is also important. So you don't have to think about it, right? And so all of those things are something that we're holding on to. I don't think that you can be a successful brand and reach the volume of people that I would like to reach as a bigger company without being omni-channel. So omni-channel will be part of our strategy at some point. It is a little bit a part of our strategy now. We are in you know, some hotels and spas and some boutique placements where it fits, but by far and by mostly we are direct to consumer um, and we likely won't be going into retail until we feel ready to. And I think what is feeling ready 
I'm not sure yet. Right now, we have a lot more people to reach online. And we're really excited about continuing to build that relationship and the offerings that we can have as a business, as a direct-to-consumer. But what's really cool about our product is that I think there's a lot of opportunity to personalize it for different retail approaches. And for instance, our Sleep Bite, it's something that works really well in hotels, right? Uh, on your pillow, uh, your nice sleep bite. So there are opportunities where some of our products may actually fit better in a retail approach. And some of our products may fit better as a direct-to-consumer product. As a direct-to-consumer first strategy with a, a you know product that at the end of the day is food, it's edible. How do you, what's the relationship like with the customer? Like, how do you kind of encourage them to give it a try for the first time? And because it is a new type of supplement, it's maybe different than their current behavior. How do you guys, you know, think about solving, solving for that? It's really interesting because I intuitively think that would be a hard educational sell. We've talked a little bit about this food is medicine and absorbing the real foods and the cofactors and co-nutrients that come with real foods that are so much better than a traditional multi. That's a lot to take in in the early days. What's really interesting though, is that often we just show the bite in hand and say, this is what your vitamins should look like. And it's really intuitive to a lot of people. They're like, yeah, my, my, Vitamins should be a piece of real food and not a candy or not a handful of pills. I want to eat my vitamin. I don't want to take it. And I think that simplicity um, and that intuitive response that we got was actually uh, just inherent within our form factor design and what has allowed, I think, such a easy kind of switching behavior between traditional multis to us. Uh, and there's a lot of tailwinds in the industry that speak to that as well within the functional food space or within functional beauty that I think people are leaning more towards healthier natural alternatives to what's out there. Interesting. Yeah. I, I can only imagine how just the pandemic and like everybody kind of shifting to more e-com spend also kind of accelerated people's willingness to to try something that they may not have otherwise online. Switching gears a little bit, going from solo founder to leader of a large business, not not large in the grand scheme of things, but you know, much larger team than what you started with, I can only imagine has its own challenges. What's been the journey for you as as kind of a solo founder, kind of uh, building this this company and this team? It's you know, every day I learn something something new. The volume that you learn is kind of unbelievable. And I call them uh, surprises every day. It used to be fires. There's something that always goes wrong every day, but I repositioned the fires to be my surprise. And so every day I wake up and I'm like, what's my surprise today? Uh, and so it, it's it really keeps you on your toes. One day you're maybe deep in the marketing metrics and the next day you're learning about trademark and IP. And then the next day you're figuring out how to hire someone in the right way or whatever it is. And so you are constantly switching between different things and learning. But once you, it, it's just like a muscle that you, you know, that you stretch, I guess. And that once you, you kind of get addicted to it almost, the growing and the learning and the challenging, and it becomes fun. And like I said, it's important to have a positive mindset about it. And I think when I reposition this idea of like fires or things going wrong to like surprises, it actually really helped me early on. I started to approach my day in a more upbeat way of like, all right, let's take on this challenge. Like this is fun. And it's something that we've really translated into our culture as well. We 
everyone on my team has a test and learn mindset. We're not afraid to fail. We're not afraid to test wild things. And we look at those failures as opportunities to learn and to grow. And that type of mindset that you have as a sole founder, I think, hopefully translates to an incredible culture as well that allows you to be innovative. I, one, thank you for the surprises because I needed that vernacular just to like exist in my day-to-day. And two, the next question that's coming up for me is, is really around that culture and like how you take your values and transmute that as you build a team. Are there core values that like when the going gets tough or when you're not having a great day that you come back to, to just inform your own actions and, and, and perhaps like, what are those core values that the, the gem team practices? Well, yeah, awesome question. The first one is this, I think, test and learn mindset that we all practice. Another one is just being curious. And that's something that obviously was inherent within me, I guess, as a young girl, like experimenting in the kitchen and just being curious about different plants and things. But when you approach a problem or something that you don't know, just out of curiosity, like, oh, why does this customer feel this way? Like, let's get curious about it. Or "Mm, I don't know, like what is behind this door. Like, let's just be curious about it. I think that curiosity is what ends up creating different ideas and, and different approaches and challenging conventional norms. And so I think that's a really important value that everyone has on our team. And it also provides a more proactive culture. A lot of us are, most of my team members are like entrepreneurs, I call it. Everyone's like the leaders of their own domain. And then the other one is transparency, being very upfront. It's something that I did early on with our customers, right? I started this beta group. I shared with them the good, the bad, the ugly. We've iterated on our product since launch more than 30 times. We're actually introducing another renovated line in a month or two. So we're constantly iterating and improving and and we're open to our customers about that. We're not saying we're this perfect company and shoving pseudoscience or all these claims on your throat and said, it's like, hey, here's the research that we know. We have a very transparent research library. Here's everything that's in our product. Here's what we're doing to you know improve. Here's how we're listening to your feedback and incorporating it. And I think the kind of transparent communication is something that's important for our culture as well in our team. We're overly communicative sometimes, but we all you know have, we have a lot of mechanisms and reporting structures that we've set up to be more transparent to make sure everyone kind of knows what's going on. If you're on the operations side or the supply side of the business, you understand what the email marketing is doing and vice versa. And so that transparency, that curiosity, that test learn mindset, all of those are really important values. And I'd say the last one is um, a value that we call kaleidoscopic. So mm-hmm. it's something that's important to our brand as well. So we take these kaleidoscopic, these different perspectives, this kaleidoscopic perspective. So even in our product, we have a very robust scientific advisory board. We have a functional medicine doctor, an herbalist, a registered dietitian, a biochemist, a neurologist. And we take all of these perspectives in building the product. Similarly, we take all of the perspective as our customers and, and try to, we're constantly getting feedback from them and integrating it. And then we also seek our kaleidoscopic perspectives within our team and look to our, to each other, to challenge each other and bring a different perspective to the table. And so I think that like inclusivity of different ways of approaching things is something really important to us and what again, begets innovation. I think there's something to be said about like having really strong values. I also think that at least on my team, like it informs how we hire and like how we seek those values in people as part of the hiring process. Do you have any 
like go-to interview questions or anything like that, that kind of like pull out of people, these types of qualities that just make them a great team fit or additive to the existing team and culture? Yeah, I do. I don't know if any of them directly correlate to our values in this way, though I would love to create some questions around that. But there are a few questions that I do love to ask in a lot of screens that I think allow me to understand a person when you're, I call it like speed dating in the early days of hiring. (laughs) My favorite questions to ask to get to know someone super quickly. One of them is what's the biggest misconception that people often have about you? Or what's the most, and I don't know if I want to say all of these because now I'm not going to catch anyone off guard, but what's like the the best and most meaningful piece of critical feedback that you've had and how do you incorporate that into your approach today? Or what does success look like for you? Or what are top three things that are really important to you right now? I think when you ask those really simple questions, you usually get a pretty good sense of someone's character. And through those questions, I often can kind of start to understand would they uphold some of these values that we have in our gym culture. So those are a few that I like. Oh, those are great. But now I feel like I have to turn one of those questions around on you. So no, let's play roulette. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I am curious though, like as a, so here's things that I know about you from an outside looking at perspective. It's that you are successful. You're well-educated. You've built a really lovely business and that less than 2.5% of women ever take on venture capital. And yet you've managed to not just take on capital once, but go on to subsequent rounds. You have a very clear vision for this business. And it's happens to be one that is not about uh, exploiting people or exploiting the world, but actually making it a better place. What are the what are what's the most common misconception about you? Well, thank you. I think what's really interesting, I sometimes this might be a cop-out answer, but I don't know if it's a cop-out, but I, I do feel like as a woman entrepreneur, I think the stat that you gave is very compelling, right? Less than 2.5% raise money. I feel like that as a woman in business, I have had to develop maybe like my business persona, my personal persona more than I would like to admit or that I have. And this business persona, in order for me to be confident in these meetings sometimes with the round table of men, I really rely on a very operational, you know, I have a very operational mindset as a CEO, maybe too much, my weakness and my strength. And I rely on the data, the numbers to give me the confidence to pitch. I'm a very, I think I have a professional persona that might be a little bit different than my personal persona at times. It's maybe a bit more extroverted or gregarious or whatever that is. And my business one might be more introverted, for instance, or more serious. And so I think the that kind of stark difference can sometimes be like alarming to people if they meet me in one sense, but then like see me in another. So if you meet me in a business sense, you might think I'm like very serious, for instance, and then you'd be like alarmed by the other side or vice versa. And so I guess the biggest misconception would be on I wherever you meet me, you might think the opposite, but really I am a blend of both somewhere in there. (laughs) Maybe that's your superpower is you've got this like internal gregarious girl. that's like, yeah, (laughs) but in the camp table, you're like, it's fine. We're going to talk about the data. I know that at different stages in life and in business, you, you're, you come across 
these challenges, obstacles, opportunities for growth. What were the biggest challenges you had when you started this business? And what are the biggest challenges the universe is putting in your path right now? I love that question. So the biggest challenge in the early days was, of course, money, fundraising, right? I needed money to hire. I needed money to put my product in market. I So that was a huge challenge in the early days. And a lot of your time is consumed, unfortunately, by fundraising, especially if you choose the VC path, maybe more than I would have liked. And then that evolved where you start to have you know more of a foundation. You start to have your brand out there, start to get known. And then the challenge becomes how do you grow and iterate? And so one of the challenges that we met last year, for instance, is that we tried to expand our product line too quickly. And then we diluted our spend across our products. And we actually lost our core customer and our core value proposition. And we've since kind of refocused the business. And so now I don't have an elaborate product roadmap or product platform. I mean, of course, I still have these grand visions, but I now know that the importance of focusing and the challenge of how do you, you know, grow a business without necessarily growing your product roadmap, right? And these are like common challenges that you kind of have at different points. So that was one of them in this evolution. Another one would be hiring. I spend so much time fundraising and then hiring is also a different skill set and a different type of sales. I, I consider fundraising sales and, and so is hiring in a lot of ways. And so how do you attract and retain awesome talent? And what does that look like in growing that whole part of your business? And so that's a totally different challenge. When you start out, you're one, three people, five people. Now we're 15, going to 20, 25. You know, those are very different stages of the business where you have very different challenges than you did before. So it's been interesting. I, I wouldn't say I actually don't know what my next challenge is going to be at my next stage. I wish I had a shiny ball here to predict that. We'll see what surprise lies ahead of me. <laughs> I was just going to go back to that. The, the surprise is coming and the surprise awaits. When you think about just the next year ahead of you, plans that you guys have coming up, what are you most excited about in the gem business right now? I am really excited about our brand and our mission and our vision behind our brand. And like I mentioned, you know, we launched this rebrand last year and I'm excited about getting it, our product into the hands of more people and about sharing more of our larger story. I think we focused a lot on, you know, this early adopter community on building kind of the early engine. And now kind of comes the fun part of how do we amplify that message? How do we start to talk about the larger movement that we're building. And so I'm really excited about investing more in that side of the business and and really just sharing it with more people and helping more people hopefully live happier and healthier lives. I mean, that's really the simple mission. Yeah. Well, I know that like literally my first move after this is to go and order your products because I haven't yet tried them. And I'm so excited to, especially knowing like your journey and all of the effort and love that's been put into this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So if anybody like me is like literally like salivating and can't wait to get their hands on this new age vitamin supplement that can improve their life, their micronutrients, where can they find you? Where can they find Gem? How can they support this? You can find us online at dailygem.co, D-A-I-L-Y-G-E-M.co. And all their products are there. Sarah, seriously, thank you so much for just coming on the show, sharing your journey and all of the insights that you've gleaned building this. It's so beautiful. And I'm so excited for everything that's coming in the future for you guys. 
Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. If you loved this podcast, and I truly hope you did, make sure you're subscribed so you'll be the first to know every time we drop new episodes. And if you haven't already, head over to pmschoolpod.com and subscribe to our newsletter so we can keep you in the loop as we release new PM School resources, invites to events, and trips abroad. If you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a review because it really makes an impact on our ability to book epic guests and keep this mission in motion. Last but certainly not least, if you feel so moved, take a picture of yourself wherever you're listening and tell us what your biggest takeaways are by tagging us on Instagram at PM School Podcast. All right, until next time, go be epic. We see you. We support you. Cheers.